I, I have to say the Onka, to be honest, like from the moment I met you, I could I could guess that you you were the middle child. It's, really? It came, it, came, it came across quite quite a bit. I agree. <laughs> uh, you're totally right there. Uh, Tony, do you, do you want to explain why? I mean, when you talked about the like the vibe for attention thing as a kid, I was like, yo, he still does that though. <laughs> <laughs> Hey everyone, this is Uncore, and welcome to episode 3 of The Cusp. As you can probably guess from that intro, we're starting off today's episode talking about siblings. Specifically, we're diving into how being the middle child or the youngest child or the oldest child affected our upbringings and exploring our dynamics with our own siblings. We also talk about how we think parenting changes from child to child and what life is like for people who are only childs. From there, we shifted gears a bit and talked about something completely different, aliens. Now, the Pentagon recently confirmed that three UFO videos that were floating around on the internet are actually real. Now, we thought that this was really big news, and the boys and I took some time to react to the videos, and then we discussed the wider implications of humans potentially discovering aliens. We dug into what our first interactions with aliens might look like, we talked about who we might send out to speak with the aliens, and we even dive into why we're so keen on exploring space in the first place instead of the deep ocean. We have some really interesting conversations for you today, so I'm gonna get out of the way and get this episode rolling. Enjoy the pod, and if you like what you hear, follow us on social at the Cusp Pod and tell your friends. Thank you, my name is Ankur, we have Tom and Tony, together we're the Cusp, and this is episode 3. Enjoy. by talking about middle child syndrome. Uh, I think this, why did this come up again in our conversation? We, what, what, what started this conversation? Well, Ankur is the middle child in the group. I mean, we should all, we should talk about like what siblings we have first. I guess I can go first. I, I just have an older brother. So I'm the, I'm the youngest in the family. I have two older brothers and an older sister. So I'm also the youngest in the family. Yeah, and I am a middle child. I have one older brother and one younger sister. So which, which really means, of... sorry, which really means like we're not gonna represent like the oldest child on this podcast <laughs> at all. <laughs> but I... I would say that for my case, I'm the youngest child, but like quite distantly young. Like there's a significant age gap, and people do say. When there's that kind of age gap, you're kind of the second firstborn again. Mm, what is the age gap, Tom? <laughs> <laughs> that sounded weird. I was like, I'm like born again. Um, it's uh, it's it's eight years. Eight me years. And the closest. Yeah. Wow. And the o- the oldest is thirteen years older than me. So. Shit. Okay. Yeah, I can so see that. 
Yeah, it's quite the gap. And like, I think when I was growing up, like there was always somebody else in the house with me, but some people had gone to like college already and, and stuff. So it, a lot of times it was just me and maybe one other sibling. Not a, not a lot of times were all four of us in the house. Did you ever feel like you, um, your oldest siblings felt almost more like uncles and aunts at first than they did siblings? No, they always felt like siblings to me, um, except, no, they, to me personally, they always felt like uh, siblings. But one time when, my, when the oldest of my family came back from college and started working, so I was still in like grade seven, I think, at the time when he came back and was working. So, and he was, he was living at home. So he used, to take, he used to drive me to school. As he goes to work, I'll just hop in the car with him and go to school. It got to a point where like he kept, pick, he kept dropping me off at school regularly. That's what people thought he was my dad. Um, which I, which I, I didn't find funny, but uh, that, that happened. So, Tom, like when, when you watched Tiger King and Carol Baskin said she didn't <laughs> know her brother because there was like a seven year age gap, were you like word or were you like, <laughs> I, I don't think I, I want to ever word what Carol Baskin says, you know? I, I think it's just a, <laughs> it's a good idea not to, not to, uh, not to not to relate <laughs> to to her i feel <laughs> tom do you think you got more of your parents attention because there was such a big age gap between the last child and you i don't think so no i think uh i <laughs> I, I don't think it's because of the age gap i think more so again like not all four all four of us were never really at the house at the same time growing up because somebody had already gone to college or someone had come back or someone had gone somewhere so i think I only got attention because I was probably in the house the longest at a certain point. So, mm. interesting. Yeah. But what about you, Anka? How does it feel being in the middle? Do you feel like you get any attention at all, or does all the attention go to the oldest and the youngest? Yeah, I don't know. I feel like I, I definitely have certain middle child um, traits. Uh, you, you feel? You feel? Are you sure? <laughs> yeah, oh, I definitely do. Um, I was gonna say, like for example. Um, I think when I was growing up, there was definitely like a, a vying for attention kind of thing. Cause I was like, my brother was like the oldest responsible one. My my sister was like the cute one that they were all just like, so when I was a kid, I was always just like, Hey, like, I'm still here. Like acknowledge me. And then I, I used to get in a lot of trouble too, as a kid. And apparently I was reading that apparently middle child is supposed to be rebellious. Um, I will say though, it, it changed for me a bit in the sense that my brother moved when I was um, about 11 years old so he went to college so there's a seven and a half then there's a six and a half year age gap between my brother and I and a four and a half year age gap between my sister and I and so when my brother moved I then became kind of like the oldest child in the house right so then that changed the relationship a bit where I didn't have my brother always like my brother wasn't always there to be like hey you need to do this you need to do this right so that changed it a little bit as compared to before when I it was just me all of us were there at the same time i i have to say though Anka, to be honest like from the moment i met you i could i could guess that you you were the middle child it's, really? I, it, came, it, came, it came across quite quite a bit i agree <laughs> uh, you're totally right there uh tony do, do, do you want to explain why I mean, when you talked about the, like, the vibe for attention thing as a kid, I was like, yo, he still does that, though. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I mean, I, I, I think my brother would definitely agree with, with the argument that, 
um, older siblings have have to fight for a lot of the freedoms that younger siblings take for granted or have to like accomplish things for the first time. Um, I think that's that's probably somewhat true and like not having kind of a template uh, to follow probably does build character in a certain sense. I will say though, as a younger sibling, who I I like, I think my parents definitely earned the label tiger parents. Um, they like still provided a lot of guidance to my older brother, and for me, like the I think the expectation was well, where he failed, you've already seen like an example of like how to fail. So you should have learned from that and you should succeed where he failed, but you should also achieve the successes he achieved. Uh, Cause it's demonstrably possible. So I, I didn't necessarily feel like my expectations were necessarily lower than the expectations they had for my brother. Though I will admit, like I, I definitely think I had more freedoms yeah, I, I agree with you, Tony. Like as the as the youngest as well, I felt that my parents and everyone expected me to learn from the mistakes of my of my siblings and and then also to beat their records. Um but as well I do I do definitely I, I have to accept that I didn't get as much of the tiger parents um control as they did. And it's kind of funny because I feel like your parents, your the first sibling and the second one, they're kind of like for lack of a better word, test subjects. Because your parents are also trying to figure it out how to how to parent, so they're trying different methods on all of them. But when it comes to you as the last one, they probably have kind of figured it out to an extent, so they don't need to be as uh, as uh, what's the word as as vigorous. Anka, do you feel that your your parents went easier on your on your younger siblings or your sister? They were harder on me, and they will confirm that. Um, we always talk about that they were hardest on me. Um, but like to be fair, they had relevant reasons to be hard on me. I was kind of a shit as a teenager, um, and they who is they, it though? who is it? yeah like I was I was there's a lot of things that I disliked about my teenage self. But um, what I was gonna say is um, they my brother and to my brother's credit, extremely smart, very responsible has from what I know always had his stuff together. So um, my brother and my parents were like, you know, they, they didn't, it didn't seem like they were worried as much about him. Cause they're like, you know, he, it seems like it'll work out with me. There was a lot of worry growing up. So I think they were harder on me, not because of my brother's shortcomings, but more because they were like, we want, we, we can kind of take a sigh of relief. Like Abhishek seems to have his stuff together, but we're worried about you now. So they definitely were harder on me just because I would say they were most worried about me. Um, yeah, that's that's what I would say. And to to their credit, I did definitely give them a couple things to be worried about. So I get it. So quest, question for the two of you. Like, I I almost feel like a lot of this is dependent on your relationship with your siblings as well. So like I found, and I don't know if my parents fostered this, they might have a little or if this was just kind of like innate. Um, but I had a very, very competitive relationship with my brother, and I still do to an extent. Um, and I think part of that would be, would be like my parents gave us not necessarily like validation, but like, or attention, but like just more acknowledgement uh, 
if we were good at something or we succeeded at something and less if we didn't. So uh, I think that fostered that competitiveness between the two of us. Um, do, do you feel like you had similar experiences or, or no? Hmm. I think, uh, I would say like, um, growing up, I felt more competitive with my brother just because I would often get compared with my brother and we were going to school when we, when we were going to school at the same time, especially, um, I would often get compared with my brother and I felt more competitive, but I think as we've gotten older, I've started to realize that me and him are just very different people. And so I, I don't really, there's not as much competition as more, I would say a sense of mutual support. So I'm rooting for him and he's rooting for me. So I think it's changed as we've grown up when we were in the same house, definitely. Uh, I felt it at least, but these days I don't really feel it in comparison. Yeah. And I think for me, um, the age gap probably is a major factor here. They were so much more older than me that I wasn't really competing with them was more so I was just chasing them and they were just kind of like, they were, I, I was just too young for them to, to, to compare themselves with. So I was just chasing after them, trying to beat their records. So it, it, uh, it strikes me that, that both of you have older siblings that are like significantly older to a certain extent. And, and I wonder if that, that makes like your experiences with them feel like you can't really relate as much, like more foreign or, or perhaps even alien. And it has me thinking about, you know, what it would be like to meet aliens who are who are so much more mature than us, uh, <laughs> significantly more developed. <laughs> and now we'll, be, we'll break for commercial, everybody. <laughs> So that wasn't the best segue in the world, but Tony gave it a good shot. This week, everyone, we're talking about two very distinct topics. We started off by talking about what is what life is like being the middle child and how your position in the family affects you growing up and how your parents treat you. But this week, we really wanted to talk about the big news that came out of the Pentagon. Previously circulating videos that everybody thought were fake alien videos, the Pentagon just confirmed that these are truly unidentified flying objects. And the boys and I just couldn't let this go. So we really had to talk about aliens in this podcast. And we hope you enjoy the journey we took with this. So the Pentagon officially released uh, UFO videos of what appear to be to be flying objects that look like look like alien saucers. Um and these had been previously released. They'd be they'd been leaked, but this is the first official confirmation from, you know, a, a government military source. This doesn't mean these flying objects are are aliens. It just means they're unidentified, hence UFO. Uh, and I guess we wanted to talk about kind of what alien contact would be like. Any theories we have about alien life in the universe. Um, what human nature is and how that might impact our relationship with, with these aliens uh, and then things like space travel or potentially other frontiers besides space that we, we should be exploring. So thought thoughts guys. Yeah. I just want to say that 
the, the UFO news about the Pentagon is, in my head, big, fat news. And it's just gone under the radar because of this whole pandemic COVID situation. Like, like l- let's, let's just rephrase it and let, let people understand. This video has been released years ago and everyone just kind of wrote it off as, you know, more of these UFO conspiracy theorists are just putting out all these kind of possibly fake videos like nobody really cares. But now the Pentagon has come out and said, yeah, that video you thought was fake is 100% real. We're releasing it because we just it doesn't affect our national intelligence anymore. And to be honest, we still don't know what the hell it was. So, yeah, here's a video of a truly unidentified flying object. We don't know what it is have at it and nobody seems to care <laughs> i almost feel like it's it's years of media conditioning to like treat ufo news as just crazy crackpot like all that stuff and i mean i will note like if this video came out today everyone would just be like oh it's probably like an amazon drone or something like that mm-hmm. um but the this is from i think like the earliest video is from like 2004 before like drone technology was really really a thing so like i i yeah like this is i feel like this is bigger news than people uh than people are giving it even if it's not aliens it's something like interesting that we should probably yeah. look into and i think like let's say the the chance that these reports reflect something of value or interesting or one percent or less like let's say even if it's still very low if the information is true, that is a really big deal, right? So I think it's definitely worth our attention in in the instance that these are actually UFOs and these are actual, well, not UFOs, these are actually aliens, right? Yeah, so I was going to say, I think that, you know, I want to say that none of us here are aeronautic engineers or anything, but if you watch the video, the way the movement of this object is quite foreign. I've never seen an aircraft move like that. So the, the, the possible arguments, if it's not a UFO, is that it could be, you know, some other country testing a new aircraft. But again, the movement of this, of the object was just so foreign that it, it does look pretty unexplainable. So I... It, and they, they would have been testing this, sorry, they would have been testing this in like 2004. So it's like, if they were testing it then, why haven't they rolled this technology out? Yeah, Exactly. Yeah, I mean, I, I guess I, I'm curious what you guys think the chances that, like, a single, like, like that these are aliens at all. You know, in this year, 2020, where we've had quite a, quite a, quite a roller coaster year, I think the probability of it being aliens has skyrocketed for me. <laughs> I'm not, I would not be surprised <laughs> if next month they've come and visit us and be like, hey, what's up? <laughs> like, I, it's just that kind of year. It's just, yeah, I, I'm with you, Tom. That in this last year, I would have been a little more skeptical, but after the shit we've seen, I, I don't know. <laughs> it could be. Yeah, and Tony, I think like your, your bigger question around, you know, let's say it is aliens. Like, let's talk a little bit about what what's that going to be like. Like, let's say, let's say we actually get a message from aliens, or you know, actually, there's two ways, right? Either we find aliens first, or they find us. So let's say that they find us first and we actually get a message tomorrow that says aliens are like, hey, Earth people, what's up? How do you think people are going to react and how should we react? Well, I guess I guess first, um, I, I don't I don't feel the same way that the two of you do that, like, 
because it's 2020 and all these extraordinary things have happened, like I would be less surprised uh, if aliens landed. Like I think the probability of that happening hasn't really changed. But I will say, I think it's made us appreciative, like this whole pandemic thing, that um, kind of one of these unknown events out there could occur and like completely throw society up into the air right and to your to your question tom like i think if aliens landed it would completely like destroy a lot of the institutions we have in society and recalibrate the way we think like what would it do to to philosophy to religion to something like racism like if if we found out that there was like another species that had the power to travel between planets out there that wasn't us and i think what would really be crushing to like a human's ego would be discovering that there was a species like superior to us that landed on earth um Mm -hmm. i think that would be like really really shattering to like our but i I think your point there tony it's, it's almost kind of playing on the human bias that because they've come here first, they're, con- they're going to come as like colonizers or, or conquerors. What if they're coming as like, uh, you know, yeah. humanitarians? You know, it doesn't mean they're coming in a, in, a, in a negative way. So I agree people's egos will be robbed the wrong way, but we, we should be open about it. I wasn't necessarily suggesting that like they would be hostile aliens. I guess what I, what I meant more was that like, what if they are just biologically more intelligent than us? And on average have, like, the human equivalent of, like, a thousand IQ, right? Something we could, like, never hope to match. And that even if they're humanitarians, like, the best we can do is just be bottom feeders for, like, this alien species. And hope they give us technology and all this stuff, right? I feel mm-hmm. like that would be... I feel like humans would unite ideally in, in a way we haven't before but i think our natural instinct would be competitive so i think we'd like frantically start working on like ai or like cyborg enhancements so we could compete with this new species and like i think we would heavily invest in like technology and research and space travel so we wouldn't be outdone like i, I think that would be our instinct so that's I think that's an optimistic take because I, I always like to look back in history, when mm. when a when a more sophisticated civilization met another less sophisticated civilization, oftentimes they came as hostile. So I will I will put that caveat. But when they met the less uh, sophisticated civilization, they often picked people and turned them against each other, right? Or people would often just turn turn each other, like they often give up each other because they want to. They want to gain access to that technology before their neighbors, and they will turn their neighbors in. It's we we don't have a history of really coming together and fighting the bigger threats as a as a human race. Yeah, I was gonna say the same thing. Like in terms of coming together, like are we actually gonna get international cooperation on how to deal with the aliens? I feel like there'll be so many different responses. I feel like more warmongering nations would be like, "Fuck it, let's bomb them right now. Let's like this get this like this is a threat. Like we gotta get rid of them." Um, there's gonna be more people that are like, "Let's try to communicate with them." There's gonna be people that are like, "We're scared of them." There's gonna be people like, "This is so interesting." I think the spectrum of responses internationally is gonna be really 
um, broad. So getting cooperation as to what the right tactic is would be really difficult. Um, I also think that an interesting thing that I thought about was, and this is post COVID, one thing that we saw with civilizations interacting, like for example, the Aztecs and the Spanish conquistadors is the impact of diseases that uh, a population hasn't seen and the, the potential of diseases to pass through. I'm wondering are you, if... Are you saying the aliens are going to bring the next COVID? Oh my gosh. <laughs> they could. I'm, I'm just saying like, like in this hypothetical scenario where there's aliens that are, I guess, intelligent enough or have the means to A, send a message to Earth, B, travel to Earth. So in that kind of a hypothetical scenario, if we were to meet a species like that, what is like the odds of us contracting some sort of disease from contact could be very high right? Um, just because there could be diseases that we've never seen and life forms that we've never seen. So those are just two things I thought of. I don't know if we'll get cooperation because there's just going to be so many different um, thoughts about how to deal with it. And there could be potential for disease if it's a, a distinct um, life form. Um, so like scientists and NASA, they've been saying that in the Milky Way alone, there's possibly 60 billion habitable planets. So the chances are actually, I want to turn the question on its head. Let's say aliens don't come to us first, but we actually find them first. We make contact with them first. My question to you guys is how should we approach that? Who should, who should talk to the aliens first if they're intelligent life? Let's say it's not just a fossil belief. If we find them first and we land there first or talk to them first, who should... Who should be our, our ambassador? Should it be politicians? Should it be scientists? How should we actually talk to these aliens? I mean, I guess like this, this goes to my optimism. I mean, if you look at like the satellite Voyager and like the messages we send out, right? Like it's, it's all the best parts of humanity. It's like kids talking in each language, you know, a whale song, music, like dance culture it's all it's all these things that i think are indications that at the end of the day we're, we're reaching out in peace right so i think like that that should be our first thing and that's a very good point i mean we might be like the when we imagine aliens landing on earth like in independence day like we might just be that species we might be one of the first civilizations to be developing in in the galaxy so I think it's important that, you know, we come in peace and all that. Uh, whether it's like scientists or politicians or ambassadors, I'm not sure. Like, I, I would hope that our species, when we're at that point, is advanced enough that we're not making these silly mistakes. Maybe that's overly optimistic. Um, but I guess my hope would be that we're, we're making a positive impact wherever we land. Um, but it's possible, you know, we come into a planet that has a resource we really want or need even, um, or whose species just seems to be completely incompatible with us or something like that. And we're, we end up doing, we end up being the aggressive aliens. Anka, thoughts? Yeah, I would say in terms of who we're, we're sending out, um, I think 
I don't know if either of you have seen the movie Arrival, but I thought that was a decently realistic um, example of what would happen in the sense that they sent in like a linguistics expert, a physicist, some like scientists to try to decipher it. Um, I thought, I think that's, that would be my best guess as to who goes. A linguistics expert makes sense because they probably would have the best thought process in terms of how to communicate with a species where we have no idea how the species communicates. Um, perhaps individuals who are trained in how animals communicate as well to see how, because they have training in how different species communicate. So I could see that. In terms of the point about being the aggressor, I could I could totally see that happening, especially if humanity is in a desperate strait where we need a certain resource or we need to figure things out. Like there is a, a, a more uh, aggressive, survivalistic um timeline here where we go on to a planet and we're like okay you know what only one of us is going to survive right so there is a humanitarian side but there's that one too so we've spoken a lot about space and space travel but is space really the only frontier are there other areas that human beings should be exploring why is all the attention going towards space the boys and i discussed this So I, I think it's fascinating that we, we know so much about space, but it's also kind of crazy that we know, we know so much more about space than we do about the very deep ocean, you know? And I think... Do we? Just because, do we though? Yeah. So I'll, I'll put some context into this. So 71% of Earth is, is, is water. And there's, there's different percentages varying, but scientists believe that it's about 90% of the deep ocean that's unexplored, that we truly do not know about 90% of it. The, the number varies, but in essence, we, we, we truly do not know. Um, if you think about the moon, or for example, we, we know more about the moon than we do about the deep ocean. If you think about the whole ga the galaxy as a whole, we don't know how big the galaxy is, so we can't really compare how much of it we do know. Um, but there's a general consensus that there's a lot about the ocean that we do not know, so maybe we should be exploring that first instead of space. Um, but what, what do you guys think about that in general? Yeah. I mean, like I, if it, it feels like exploring space instead of, um, oceans at this point is kind of like going on a walk outside your house when you haven't like been to every room in your house. Like, I feel like we should definitely acquaint ourselves with what's happening in our oceans that said, like, I, I don't think they're mutually exclusive. Like, we can open frontiers for, for both, and I'm sure there's going to be some amazing things we learn about oceans in the next hundred years. Um, but I don't know. Like, I, I, think, I think, you know, space travel and ocean travel are both these really amazing things. It would be interesting, though. Like, we're talking about some intelligent alien species landing from above it's possible there already is one you know deep in the oceans that we're yeah you know living living with and it's also possible that we just can't understand other species like it's possible dolphins are just as smart as humans and we're just not able to communicate with them yeah it's interesting so i think some people say like the reason why we've explored space more than the ocean is just because it's easier, right? Like we can see space, space has lights. Like it's, it's easier to, like, it's not easier to to put a man on, 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 on the moon, but 
it's it's easier to at least see where you can explore. But if you think about the deep ocean, you have to build air, you have to build crafts that can survive all that under all that pressure of the deep ocean. And also you have to it, the ocean is dark. It's literally just dark and harder to see. So there's a general consensus that it's it's easier to explore space than it is to actually get to the deepest parts of our ocean, which I find very crazy. Yeah. I would also say though that like um, there's more money that's being funded into space travel, right? Like Musk is putting a ton- billions of dollars into space travel. Bezos is putting billions of dollars into space travel. Branson is putting billions of dollars into space travel. Like space travel has a lot more money behind it, and space travel is expensive. Like um, NASA claims the average cost of a shuttle launch is like. 450 million dollars and right now the whole biggest thing with space travel is they're like trying to find ways to reuse shuttles because they have to use the same shuttle once and it breaks apart and they have to build a new shuttle so i think one of the reasons why space travel um is like more popular i think is also just because that's where the money is right there's not as much money in ocean travel there's also the fact that like none of these ventures are profitable so it doesn't make intuitive sense that more money would be spent on like space than uh, oceans. I think to your question, Tom, like I think maybe it's just that like space captures our imaginations in a way that oceans don't. Um, I mean, like we're, we're willing to spend billions of dollars obviously on like ocean freighters to like transport our goods. But on, on actually, like, that deep-sea exploration. Like, I think James Cameron went down to, like, a trench somewhere in the ocean. But yeah, I haven't really James heard Cameron, about any... Yeah, I was just going to say, Tony, he's one, of, he's one of three people that has been to the bottom of the ocean. Which is which is pretty nuts, because we've, we've put more than three people on, like, the surface of the moon. And yeah. it's like... There's, I think there's a reason that, you know, when J- JFK says, we'll go to the moon and do the other things, doesn't he doesn't say, we'll go to the bottom of the ocean and do the other <laughs> things, right? Like, it's, I think it's just like an, a, more, a more appealing pitch. Well, do you think it's also um, based off, uh, I would say, like, for example, two of the reasons uh, why space, or three of the reasons why space travel is popular, one um, because people see Mars as a potential area of human colonization. Two, people see space as a potential place for manufacturing to occur. That's what Bezos has said. And three, people see space as like a tourism opportunity, right? Do you think any of those things, like for example, like could we could we potentially um, have human colonization in the ocean as well? Like, do you, is that like a viable opportunity with the ocean? Yeah. So on your point, Anka, like. Um, I, and, and, and to Tony's point as well, you're talking about does the deep ocean capture our imagination? And to me, it kind of does because every time we see some sort of p- pictures of the deep ocean, there's always these weird fishes and animals that you've just never seen before who have weird characteristics like the, the way the light reflects off their skin and whatever, what have you. And the thing is, as humans, we've learned, we've built a lot of our technologies off animals and nature and, and how their bodies are, are built. And I feel like there's a lot of species in the deep ocean that we can gather some more innovation from. Like, how do their bodies survive that deep pressure? How can they see in such a dark spot space in the deep ocean? I, I, feel, I feel like there's a, lot, there's a lot to explore there. I don't know why it doesn't capture people's imagination as much. Do you remember back in the day when they had those 
video about the people that wanted to fly to Mars and never come back. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I remember that. If space colonization was a viable opportunity in our lifetimes, would either of you do it? Would either of you just like take mm. the shot? It's a good question. Uh, I think I would. Yeah. Really? It, dep- it depends okay. on like how. Yeah, it depends on like what my personal life was like, how old I was, what position I was in. But if you, if you like. If you approached me today and said you have an opportunity to, like, be in space and, like, on that frontier and contribute to, like, humanity expanding into space, like, I'm all on board. Like, for sure. I mean, it's, it's like, the, the most exhilarating sense of adventure possible. And, like, you're contributing to the expansion of human civilization, which is, like, I think what... Uh, like one of the best things you could do. Wow. Okay. I, I'm going to be a bit more uh, pragmatic. So it, it's kind of similar. I was having this conversation with my sister the other day about um, when the lockdown is over, am I going to come out of my house right away? And there's this thing trending on Twitter and people are reminding people about the uh, story in the Bible about Noah when there was a 40-year flood. And after the flood was was over, he didn't just come out of, the, of his boat and check if, if everything is okay. He sent a dove first. And uh, people basically said, I'm not a dove, so you guys go ahead first. I'm not going to go check it out. And I think that's kind of how I feel about Mars. I, 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 I'll be very happy to go one day, but I don't want to be the first one to, ch- to check it out. You know? you, you... Yeah, I, I think I'm... Um, Tony, I, I understand the sense of adventure, and I admire that you would, you would want to do that and push humanity forward. And um, I'm glad that there's people thinking that way because we need people like that. I think if it was posed to me, I feel like there would be just a sense of FOMO because there's just so many things that I still want to do on Earth that I haven't had the chance to do. And so um, whether it's... <laughs> Earth <having> FOMO. <laughs> yeah, Earth FOMO. That's what I would have. So I think I would personally probably... Um, if it was like a, a a tourism kind of thing where it was like you get a chance to go to space and depending on how much of my life I would lose, I'd be probably down to do it. But um, for like a permanent, like you're going to move to Mars and help settle it kind of deal, I think I'd be like, nah, I'll pass. Thank you, but no thank you. That, that would be my my thing, but I would respect anyone that chooses otherwise. Yeah, I'll I'll pass too, but I'll watch, I'll watch the Netflix episode of people like in Mars <laughs> before I go. <laughs> there, there are like certain certain like contingencies even i would have though like if if i had like two young kids and i couldn't take them with me like no i'm not gonna be some deadbeat martian right like (laughs) i so like there there are certainly those contingencies like my my dream is that like by the time we're hitting like retirement they have some level of affordable space travel you know because then i'm all on board there's no reason for me to retire like on earth somewhere when i can like go to mars and like experience you know this this amazing uh uh planted in like this frontier right all right everyone that's the end of today's episode thank you so much for listening if you liked what you heard please subscribe to us on your preferred podcast listening platform and 
follow us on social. We're on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and our handles are all at the cusp pod. That's no space, no caps. The cusp pod. You can also email us at the cusp pod at gmail.com. And yeah, let us know what you thought about the episode. Let us know what you liked, what you disliked. And of course, if you're really vibing with this content, share it with your friends because we'd love to grow the podcast. All right, that's it. Thank you again. Bye bye now. Thank you.